Hello, welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Musset. My name is Scott Powell. And uh, we're so happy that you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, such a clean opening you gave. And then you never know what to do after a good clean opening when we've said everything there is to say. Yeah, it's it's like... um, well, it's now frosty. What? It's a frosty fall day. Thank goodness, because we have some out-of-control forest fires going mm. on in Colorado, and so we have desperately needed a little bit of moisture, and I feel like we might be getting that. And we're supposed to get snow. Did you hear that tomorrow or over the weekend or something? No, that's great. Yeah, praise be to God. I have to put my doors back on my Jeep. Oh, yeah. Um, but you yeah, did. for you guys uh, who pay attention, um, uh, Dr. Scott Powell, or also known as Scott, Hi. my friend. AKA. Um, he is uh, one of the founders and runners of Camp Waitiwa. <laughs> I like the word runners. Runners. <laughs> runners. <laughs> and uh, The other one's my wife, in fairness. Uh, yeah. And we are ones. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, so there's a what they call the Calwood Fire. Yeah. And Calwood is the location of Camp Waitiwa. And so uh, we spent a couple of days on pins and needles oh, trying to figure goodness. out if um, if everything was just charred to the ground and and praise be to God, we were the the main area where we actually run Cambodia was spared, and all the structures on the property were spared. Actually, they're housing a whole lot of firefighters right now, and they're being fed there. But um, yeah, a lot of damage to the property. Um, a lot of people have lost their homes up outside of Boulder. At least twenty six homes have been lost so far. So a yeah. lot of suffering, a lot of suffering. Where Cambodia was going to be just fine, but there's there's a lot of suffering. So keep the people of Colorado in your prayers, if you would. Yeah, I've, I have a friend who is uh, supposed to be evacuated. And uh, just said, I'm just going to not. I'm put. I'm staying put. He and, had some killer Facebook videos, though, that he put up. Oh, my goodness. And uh, <laughs> Those were insane. Yeah, and, and uh, he's like, yeah, I can just hear houses exploding. Oh, my gosh. And, it, uh, I mean, it was it was really something. It was a f- decently populated area. And actually, just last night, there was another one that may have uh, overtaken the, the entire town of Grand Lake. We're still waiting to hear kind of what happened with that fire overnight. So really, just so much, so much, you guys. Yep. So, um, so thank goodness that there's a little uh, chill in the air and some drizzle coming down, and right, yeah, maybe some relief. So, yeah, we just pray, and and if you're one of the people affected by one of the fire, the mm. numerous fires in California, Colorado, Arizona, Wyoming, all over the West, yeah, really, all over the world, you know, in a. I don't know where else there are fires. I'm but sure there's fires places. Yeah, there's fires places. I wanted to come up with somewhere in like in Asia. I would have said Namibia. If I was, Namibia. If it was me, <laughs> but you, you do you. I was gonna say Thailand. No, oh, that's that's reasonable. That's but, a pretty uh. But I don't think I don't think they pretty do. humid place. That's what so, I'm thinking. So. Yeah. So, well, friends, thirtieth Sunday in ordinary time. Well, before we do that, we have an announcement to make. Oh yeah, yeah. And we want to let you all know. Please tune in next Thursday at the dun, normal. Dun, dun, well, not dun. the normal time. The normal time we record. I guess okay. you, you guys. <laughs> What's fun? Okay, so if you guys ever want to pray for us. Okay. Um, you, we start our recording at 11 o'clock, but we'll, uh, or like, actually we start the podcast process at 10. The podcast process. Yeah. We do start processing at 10. And, uh, and, but this is going to be a unique live stream because we're yeah. going to actually live stream directly from the basement where we actually do the podcast weekly. Some call it the studio. The or the basement, the, the studio, studio. Or the basement studio, the yeah, yeah. So, studio basement. So you guys, but will, if you want to see where we actually make the magic happen, because <laughs> we've done live podcasts before, we usually right. do them from our Catholic Center or from Drogos. Uh, but yeah, we're actually doing it from the basement next week. So ten o'clock Mountain Time, I believe, right? Yep, ten o'clock Mountain uh, Time on Thursday, the 29th of October. 
Yes, tune into YouTube. So you can go to thomascenter.org. We'll have links to where we're going to be broadcasting. Um, we'll have links on Facebook, but it's going to be at the St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center YouTube channel. So yeah, we're, we're find out. it. And, um, and yeah. so it's just a, it, it, it's also just to introduce you to what our what we offer in our YouTube channel. Like, Absolutely. Cause Which some, is pretty new since the beginning of the quarantine. We didn't really have a YouTube channel or at least use it yeah, right. until we started live streaming masses. So. And uh, a lot of people ask me, they're like, Father, I really want to hear your homily after the, the podcast. And so. Um, oh, what did you do with the podcast? Right. And mm. and so, so Scott has to listen to my homily after the podcast. <laughs> I get I get to listen to yeah, your homily. Thank you. And uh, and so awesome. So tune hey, in. So tune in. MST, be there or be square. Ten o'clock MST October 29th. And today 30th. is the thirtieth Sunday. Happy feast day of Pope Saint John Paul II. Whoa, by whoa, the way, whoa, whoa. speaking of Camp Boitiwa, the given name. Pope of John Paul II. Uh, Saint Pope John Paul II, the Saint greatest. Pope. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of them. So it is his feast day on the day we're recording. So um, praise be to God for that. But on this thirtieth Sunday of ordinary time, our first reading this week is coming from guess what? Exodus. What is it not coming from? Movement of your people. What is it not coming from? Um, Isaiah. Isaiah. I was going to make. Do you know that literally? One of the seventy-six percent of the times that it is not coming from Isaiah. Oh, thanks for reminding. (laughs) Oh, you betcha. I was. I was like, I was going to announce it today as Isaiah, and then I was going to be disappointed, and then I was like, but then I was like, (laughs) it's going to throw some people off. Yeah. So Exodus chapter twenty-two, verses twenty through twenty-six. Our psalm is Psalm 18. Our psalm. Our psalm. It's a pirate psalm. You know know how the- A pirate psalm for me. You know how a pirate prays, don't you? Our Father Father who art in heaven. I do. Okay, so um, so (laughs) you have kids, I forgot. No, that predated the kids. Yeah, Psalm 18, uh, verses 2 to 4, jumping to 47, jumping to 51. That's a big uh, jump. With the response from 2. Big jump, if I may. Our second reading is coming from First Thessalonians. Thirsty Thessalonians. Thirsty Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, chapter one, verse five, C through ten. And then our gospel is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter twenty-two, verses thirty-four to forty. Okay. It's it's kind of a it's it, we had we were going on an unbroken stream on the gospel and then we jumped. Not by much. We jumped over one tiny brief story. Yep. So we're really we're really close to it, and it, it's funny. This gospel reading that we have this week actually references, of course, the story that we did not read. <laughs> so Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, twenty-two. Twenty-two twenty. So Exodus chapter twenty-two. Um, oh, so many things to say. I actually, I, I'll be honest with you. I was really struggling with these readings because they um, struck me at first glance as kind of like, oh, okay. They almost felt like kind of a lackluster grouping of readings together. I'm like, okay, well, these are all fairly straightforward. Love people, love God, love your neighbor, be nice to people, cool. And I was I was kind of struggling. So I, I spent a couple hours this morning just digging and going into commentaries and rabbis and ancient stuff and trying to find something that I wasn't seeing. And I've, I've, I, I want to share something that I, some stuff that I found. Um, we'll see if it all comes together. Okay. So where we're coming from, where we're reading right now is Exodus 22 is falling in this really um, interesting part of Exodus. So we, the Israelites have come out of slavery in Egypt. 
What? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling you. They've come out of slavery in Egypt, right? They've crossed the Red Sea, and now they have arrived at Mount Sinai. So there's probably a three-month journey from leaving Egypt, right, crossing the Red Sea, and getting to Mount Sinai. Didn't take, when I was little, I thought it took 40 years to get from Egypt to Sinai. <laughs> it doesn't take 40 years. No. They wandered around out of punishment, but it took them probably about three months. Um, and actually, this is where uh, traditionally it's believed it was 50 days, which is where the traditional understanding of Pentecost comes from, that Pentecost would have been 50 days from the Passover, which would have traditionally been the length of the journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai of oh. giving of the law. So anyway, kind of a, a side note, but I think it's kind of interesting. That's really good. So they're at Mount Sinai, and in chapter 20, we're given the Ten Commandments. And so this this section of the book, chapters twenty through twenty four, is what's called the the um, the section about the law and the covenant. Um, so in chapter twenty, it's this is the section of Exodus that most people remember: the giving of the Ten Commandments. Moses right. goes up on the mountain and he hears these Ten Commandments. Chapters twenty one through twenty three are essentially what flows out of those Ten Commandments. The so what? Okay, so here's these commandments and the commandments. Judaism and Catholic teaching has always taught us that the Ten Commandments are, in a, in, a, in a real way, fairly intuitive, right? We didn't necessarily need God to tell us not to kill people. That's something that's actually built into every human soul. And like, er, we and, know and every culture. Really. And every culture. They're, they're universal. And they're codified in this way for Israel because it's less to do with, oh, what? We're not supposed to steal things? I had no idea. It's not that. <laughs> it's that um, these are actually seen, the law given to Israel— is seen less about dry, sterile law code and more about relationship. In the Old Testament, there is no law that is outside of relationship. Law and relationship go together. And so the ancients actually saw the Ten Commandments not as God giving us instructions, but they saw it as the wedding vows of a God who is uniting himself to his people. So he had set them free in Egypt. He had brought them out to the wilderness to woo his people, to make them fall in love with him again because they had forgotten who he was. And the Ten Commandments were always seen as sort of the wedding vows. You know, the wedding vows are not new information if you're standing up getting married. You're like, wait, what? I'm committing myself to what now? They're they're intuitive. You you know you're doing that, but it's the moment that you're saying, yeah, I commit to this. I will do this. I will swear myself to you. That's what the Ten Commandments are, is God saying and the people sort of saying back, yes, we want to be in this relationship. So law and relationship are always tied together. Now what's... Oh, here's, go for it. here's something interesting is uh, the, the wedding vows that we give is a uh, rhetorical device called a merism. And a, did I say this on the podcast no? Before? But I'm I'm just thinking marriageism it sounds Mar- funny. It sounds funny to me. But See, that's it, not what you're saying. Yeah. So marism is said so we say for richer for poorer. Uh-huh. Oh, the two. Yeah. The, yeah you've told me about you. I don't I, know if we've said it on the podcast, but I feel like you've told me. Yeah, about yeah, this. yeah. So the so the, a marism is is really just a rhetorical device that's just saying from A to Z. Oh, nice. It's just kind of say, like a uh, an acrostic. Com- it's an acrostic. Sort of. it, 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 it's trying to summarize, <laughs> like, I take you in every circumstance. All of it. Richer for poor, for in, uh, you know, in health and sick, in sickness and in sickness health. Sickness and health. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, you've never had to do it. You I've never had to do them, it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I just listen to other people do it. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, so you're cool. You're off the hook on that. Yeah. But, but totally. Th- but then in, in a certain sense, that's actually what these Ten Commandments are. Is like, yes. let's actually... It doesn't use the rhetorical form of a merism, but the no, but not per se. But it's covering yes the kind the 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 kind of basics of yeah to to say that that we're going to be in relationship with each other and totally. this is how to do this absolutely right. And so the first three, of course, are all about our relationship with God, right? Keeping the Lord's day holy, loving God above all else, not worshiping idols. And then the other ones are about okay, so how do we interact with each other? Now, what does that have to do with our read? Because this is not Exodus twenty. 
But we can't talk about our reading without talking about the Ten Commandments. And so the idea is you have the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, and then 21 through 23 are the outcroppings, the so what, the practical application of these principles, right? And then in chapter 24, you have the covenant ratification ceremony that says, okay, you've received the commandments, here's the marriage vows, here's all of the things that come out of it that describe and define our life together in relationship. And in chapter 24, they all swear it and they say, yes, we are committed to this relationship. And the reason I say all of that is that in my reading and my kind of digging and commentaries, this is a hard section that we actually get. And there, there's things that we can say about what it actually says. But uh, I, I read an analogy in one of the books that I was reading that um, because Exodus 20 through 24 are meant to be taken together in a whole. Right. And um, I read in this commentary, someone was suggesting that oftentimes Christians like to read 20 through 24 kind of like we eat fish. So chapter 20 is like the actual fish, the meat of the fish. And then everybody treats 21 through 23 kind of like the bones that you kind of take out and like throw to the side. They're like the Ten Commandments. We're all about the Ten Commandments. Those are cool. But then there's all of this practical stuff about how to interact with each other and the alien and the immigrants and widows and taxation and usury. And like there's all of this practical stuff that just get so bogged down in details. And we kind of want to push that all aside. And then you jump to the ratification ceremony in 24, and you're like, all right, now this is it. But for the ancients, for the rabbis, chapter 21 through 23 was inseparable from chapter 20. You could not have the ratification of the covenant outside of all of the implications for the covenant and what it has to do. So, uh, again, just to put this in context, what we're seeing here, a lot of people write off as like, well, this is just kind of some practical applications of once they get into the land, you know, their particular societal norms and kind of how they deal with things. But that that's actually not how they were seen. So what we get here in Chapter 22, which is about how you treat foreigners, essentially, and how you treat people to whom you loan money, which are interesting, um, there's a difference. There's a distinction in these two uh, sets of laws that are given. So there's a whole bunch of laws that are called um, I'm going to pronounce this right. Casuistic, casuistic laws. So um, chapter 21 is all about case laws. So say there's someone who is found guilty of this. How do you punish them? Say there's someone who is doing sorcery or who is doing prostitution or doing whatever. Here's how you punish them. And then the casuistic laws end and you get into this, which are what are called the apodictic laws. And apodictic, it's a Greek term that actually means... Um, what does it mean? Something said. To proclaim, yeah, to point out or to make a proclamation, the proclamation laws, of which if you read through these, there's actually no consequences. It doesn't say, like, if you're found guilty of this, do this to the person, like the ones just before this. These follow a different format, which is a apodictic. They're proclamations. And the understanding for the rabbis was that these, these are dealing with things that are above and beyond human deliberation. This is not something that you go and take and sit down in a law court to deliberate. These are things that are actually above that. And for, I think you could make the case that for the rest of the uh, the Bible, these kinds of things, oppressing a foreigner, wronging widows, um, abusing orphans, people who cry out to God, these are regarded as the most flagrant examples of rebellion against God throughout the Old Testament. And you see these issues in the prophets, especially as the ones that rise up to the surface. So in the Old Testament, it's been said there's four major categories that are the objects of God's particular care, right? Strangers, orphans, widows, and the poor. 
And that is, I mean, you can't read the Old Testament and the prophets without seeing that's where God seems to take special, special interest. So there's these previous laws that were presented in this kind of strict judicial form. But then all of a sudden in chapter 22, the tense changes and God uses the first person singular. And he says, okay, when you, you know, adjudicate these other things, here's how you do it. But here he actually says, I and me, I will surely hear my cry. If you wrong them and they cry out to me, I will hear it. There's no courtroom on earth that's going to adjudicate this. I hear their cries. I hear the abuse. I hear what's going on. And if you read it, so I mean, again, in ancient Judaism, these are the ones that rise to this level that goes beyond simple right and wrong. This is to understand, and, and, and where this fits in the story, this is to understand what God has done for us, because these are given just after the Exodus, when Israel was a stranger, when they were in a place that they didn't want to be, that was not their home, they were being oppressed, they were widowed, they were orphaned as a people, and God took special care on them, called him, them his segula, my special possession, and took care, brought them out of slavery, brought them to freedom, cared for them like a spouse, and gave them a home. And he says, if you don't do the same thing for each other, then you have forgotten the whole concept of the Exodus and you don't understand salvation whatsoever. It's like us going to, if a Catholic goes to confession and confesses something that they really need forgiveness from, and then they go out and refuse utterly to show any mercy or forgiveness to someone outside, which we've already seen in the last couple of weeks. There's a bunch of parables that Jesus gives about that very topic, right? right. Someone who has forgiven something greatly and then they refuse to do it for each other. And the only last thing I just want to say, because I thought it was beautiful and it almost, it almost choked me up a little bit, is uh, in explaining this. So, again, seriously, to read this in the context of the rest, there's all these really weird kind of ins and outs of judicial stuff. And then all of a sudden you get to treating the, the alien, the stranger, because of how you were in Egypt, wronging orphans, wronging widows. They're crying out to God. He says, my wrath will flare up. I will kill you with the sword and you will be widows. You will be orphans because you didn't actually understand what salvation meant. And that talks about usury and extorting people who, to whom we loan money and being unjust. But I want to get to my favorite line, which is, if you take your neighbor's coat as a pledge, you shall return it to him before sunset. For this cloak might be the only covering he has for his body. What is he supposed to sleep in? You're reading through all of these laws and rules and regulations and adjudications and everything. And all of a sudden, God's like, what if he doesn't have the right pajamas? That's a big deal to me. Right. And I was struck, like it almost made me choke up that all of a sudden God has to stop and say, I absolutely care that that guy is warm enough when he goes to bed. That matters to me. All of it matters. My laws matter. My rules matter. Your freedom, your land, all of these things matter to me. But also the fact that that person has the right pajamas to wear at night, that also matters to me because none of this is outside of my view. Mm. And the fact that God changes to the first person singular to say how worried he is about someone not having pajamas literally choked me up because he is saying from A to Z, like you were saying, from top to bottom, all the way to your PJs, I care so deeply about you. And I care so deeply that you care deeply about each other. So if I care about their PJs, you better care about their PJs too. 
And if I hear you don't care about their PJs, PJs is a trade example. Well, it's not a trade example. It's God's well, example. Yeah, I mean, if I, you don't care, then I will hear it and I'm going to be mad. Right, right. Like, I, you know, I, I totally understand even saying PJs because there's something intimate about it. But <laughs> that's like, why I keep saying yeah, it's it like way. it's a sleeping bag. It's a blanket. Like, like the, you don't have a coat yeah. that like, yeah. and especially like right now. I mean, I'm just I'm just watching the the way in which. Um, yeah, it's so, I think there's so many people right now who really, really long to be able to love one another. Like, yeah, like I see a lot of people actually taking this up. And th this is this is actually where uh, the that we exist within the church in an, in a strange time to where we always have to navigate a very difficult thing because we are posed on one side with a social justice without love of God. Absolutely. And this is right. actually, and this is where like, so, so when you have love of God and this is actually what's so the reason why we care and the, the source and the origin of our care is yes, it is because of humanity, but it's also love of God. And that when you just, and it's good. And I'm actually happy that people just love other people and want to help them. But, but that, that it's yeah, like, there's an it's objective like having, goodness to it. it. Yes. Sure. But it's like having one lung. It's only, it, 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 it actually doesn't like it, it's good. It accomplishes something, but there's something that actually is transformative that it accomplishes the, the fullness of what is actually mm -hmm. supposed to be accomplished when we say, oh, I want to take the heart of God because it's a marital relationship. This is actually when I, when I'm bound together and this is actually what makes Christians different. This is what makes us different within the world is that it's love of God and neighbor can be joined so profoundly, yeah. but, but they also cannot be divided well, in the Christian. Absolutely. And so, so I would, I would actually take your analogy. It's not an analogy, your point. Um, I, I, I would flip it a little bit. It doesn't change Talk anything. To me. But, but so we have this concept of, yeah, uh, people who want to do socially just things, care for their neighbor. Right. Devoid of a relationship with God. Devoid of that coming from the love of God. Which, which is fine. Is, is lacking. It's right. fine. It's objectively good. And I, right. I think God can use that. And it's a stepping. It's a, it's a, it's a building block. Right. Um, that's one thing. Right. But then you have a far deeper problem of people who are Christian and proclaim the faith, proclaim the love of God, and do not do the things that are the natural outcropping of the love of God. Right. Which is a far deeper problem. I think you can see this clearly in the Bible. That is a far deeper problem than those who serve the poor and love their neighbor outside of the good reason for doing it or outside mm. of the true and, and final teleo right. teleological reason for doing it. Mm, that's that's a, good... a different level of someone who's like, no, I know God. I understand salvation. I understand his mercy. I'm just not going to extend it. Right. That's next level. And that's where God's like, mm -mm, no, that means you don't understand salvation. That means you don't understand my mercy. That means you don't know me. And I mean, you, you, you sometimes hear these stories, these horrific stories on the news of, you know, a, a, a father who, you know, is in a relationship with a woman and abuses his children. And you're like, How, what? That doesn't make any sense to be in a relationship, to have a child from that relationship and then be abusive to the child. What? That's not, it doesn't make any sense, which is 
in a certain analogous way, what, what God is talking about here. Mm. You're in a relationship with me, and out of that relationship, there is fruit born in the world, and Israel is a community and a family of God. And if you're actually um, abusing the people in your family that came from my relationship with you, that that's absurd. Right. That There's a sickness to that. And it's not just a sickness. It's a spiritual... Um, not just immaturity, it's a spiritual blindness. Right. And again, throughout the Old Testament, God says, no, that's where punishment is going to come. Right. Not because I just need you to be nice to each other. Be nice to each other. That's not God's point. God's point is, although that's objectively good, God's point is, no, this is who I am. Right. And if you don't live it, it means you actually don't know me. And that's really problematic. Which actually... I think I don't want to take away anything else from you, but I actually think that's a good segue into response or, into uh, Psalm 18. Into the responsorial psalm. <laughs> into the responsorial psalm, which is Psalm 18. <laughs> no, that's great. I like it. Can I tell you something cool about Psalm 18? Nope. And okay. man, you shoot me down. Uh, no, I would. I would. Um, what, 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 what would you like to tell me I, about I need to Psalm 18? Psalm 18 is cool, and I'm sure there's probably others, but I'm not aware off the top of my head of them. Psalm 18 is almost word for word um repeated or not repeated it's it's word for word also given in the book of second samuel so you know oftentimes i think it's fun to try to find the um salvation history context for a particular psalm where is this psalm coming from most of many of them are from the life of david but this one is actually one that comes out of david's mouth in second samuel and we get it and then it's sort of recounted in the psalms and slight, you know, there's some slight variations, but I think it's kind of cool because you actually see him in the context that this is happening, give it in the text. So in 2 Samuel 22, I believe, it's where um, he's finally free of being on the run from King Saul, who has been seeking his life and trying to kill him. David is the legitimate king. Saul was the legitimate king, but now is is fallen into grave sin and deep error and, and hor- horrible stuff. And David has now finally been set free of this oppression and this being chased around by this bad king. And now he can lead the people. And at the moment that he's finally free to show his strength and finally free to to um, give his authority and actually live out of his authority at the first moment that he can finally do all of that. What does he say? No, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my deliverer. Which there's many human beings, I think, that would want to say, look, I've got my way out of this. I figured it out. I fought the fight. I made it. I've defeated the bad guy. David says none of that. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength, because I didn't have it to do this. I didn't have enough in me to actually get out of this. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. You are my stronghold. You are my salvation. You are my horn. You are my shield. You are my safety from enemies. This is where he gives so many adjectives Mm, as to who God is upon finally being victorious and how many people when they're finally victorious are like, actually, it's not about me. Right. It's about the God who made me victorious. Right. Those are the best athletes. Those are the best, you know, um, people in all realms of life who recognize, no, yeah, I've done something great, but it's because God has allowed me to do something great. And where David will go, now David goes off the rails later on in his life, but what we see in the beginning of David's kingship is a recognition of the poor. He, as soon as he becomes king, one of the first things he does is administer a jubilee year where slaves are set free, where all debt is released, where land is returned to its ancestral owners. He basically acts like God in saying, I want to set free and show mercy across my society, and that's how I want people to view me as a leader. 
because it's not about me. It's about a recognition that God is the one who sets us free. Right. God is mercy. And so I'm going to demonstrate that to the people. Yes. So the context of that, I think, is beautifully appropriate to the first reading. Yeah, I have which, no, which I, uh, I have okay, is, is a good segue into Thessalonians, <laughs> right, <laughs> to be right. honest with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this, again, seemed like the wild card until you read it. And I, I don't have that much, but I, be, I think if you just read the words. So this is Thessalonians, I mentioned last week, is one of, one of the, uh, I don't want to call, I don't want to use the word boring because it's not, a, nothing in the Bible is boring, but it's, it's less fighting. It's less Paul defending, putting out fires, calling people out. It's more just an, a letter of encouragement of trying to encourage these workaday people trying to live their faith in this city in Macedonia and, and doing their thing. And so to them, he says, hey, you know what sort of people we were, it's, we're still in his introduction, his greeting. He says, brothers and sisters, hi, it's Paul writing. I'm with Timothy and Sylvanus. Hey, how you doing? And then he goes on to say, you know what sort of people we were among you for your sake? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, receiving the word in great affliction and joy from the Lord, so that you became a model for all of the believers in Macedonia, in Achaia, in the surrounding regions. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone forth. So that, guess what? And this is the key line. So that we have no need to say anything. Paul's like, I don't have to do anything. You've done the work. You're like in it. You're right. imitating me. I'm imitating God. Paul said that earlier, right? I'm trying to be like Jesus Christ in pouring myself out. We talked about Paul's canonic hymn back in Philippians. I poured myself out in great suffering. The Thessalonians saw that example and they're like, we will do that. We will be like Paul who's being like God. And Paul's like, cool. I don't have to do the work there. I don't have to come and correct you and tell everybody and clarify because people are seeing your example and right. your example is my example and my example is God's example. And so people are understanding the mercy and the goodness of God just because of your lives. And Paul's like, thank goodness, because I got some fires to put out over here. Right. <laughs> Which is really just beautiful to see one of the few cases in the New Testament where like, oh, it works. Yeah. It's working here. They just turn from their idols and they're like, okay, this is good. They actually like... I, I love it. It's a success story of discipleship. It's a success story of discipleship. Absolutely right. You, they're just, they, they came, they did their thing. They're like, oh, hold on, we got to turn. They repented and then they took up the mission. Which is a beautiful um, counterpoint to the first reading where there's all these beautiful, profound instructions and vows being given. But we also know that they are not faithful. They were not the example. They right. did abuse the people around them and each other and other nations and everybody else. And salvation history went off the rails. So in a certain sense, second Th- or First Thessalonians, the second reading, is the antidote for what went wrong in the first reading. Mm. Where they were trying to, God said, I want you to see my example. I want you to see what I have done. I want you to see that how much care I have on the least of these. And I want you to do it. And then we know that they don't do it. But then that's not the end of the story. And you fast forward and you're like, oh, but these guys did. These guys do get it. The word of God still does work. It's not that, man, the world stinks. Everyone is in so much sin. Everything is lost. Thessalonians says, no, everything is not lost. It works. And here is a success story. And you can hinge some hope on that, that God is not done working. I don't know. I think it's a beautiful counterpoint to that first one. Totally. Which leads us into the gospel. Which leads us into the gospel. Yeah, the which is a shorty. It, it is. It's like, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Like, which this is Shema. one. Of, I think this is one of the first times, at least in this section, 
I don't think so. Th- this whole section that we've been talking about it for weeks, right? Jesus is constantly being tested and prodded and poked and you know um, messed with, which just happened. It said the the Sadducees had just done it. It's almost like a ping pong match, right? Right. The Pharisees are going to test him, and then the Sadducees come and test him, and then the Pharisees mess with them, and the Sadducees mess with them, and now the Pharisees come. And I think this is one of the first times that it's not a trick question, and I don't right. think they're trying to trick him. They're saying, "All right, fine." What is, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, I think what they're saying is, all right, rabbi, what's your yoke? Right. Because remember, the yoke of a rabbi was their one-sentence summary of the whole of the Old Testament. How do you, what's your takeaway? We've tried to test you. None of this is working. The people seem to want to hear what you have to say. So tell us. Say it. We're, 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 we give in. We, we, they're not giving in entirely because they're still going to kill him. But they're like, fine. What is it? What's your yoke? What do you think the greatest commandment is? Where do you put the emphasis? Right. And he gives two. He does, he, he messes he goes, with them. Yeah, he He's goes, like, I'm going to give you two of them. He goes to Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Leviticus. Leviticus 18. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like so the this, Shema, like you said, I cut the you Shema off. Israel, and then and then you shall and then you shall love your neighbors yourself, which comes from Leviticus, which is like beautiful. So it's it's the combination of those two. And 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 what he says last. Um, He's not just saying, so he, they ask, what's your yoke? Like, what's your one sentence summary, in other words? And he says, well, this is what it is. But not only is this my sort of one sentence summary, he says the entire Old Testament, all the law and the prophets depend, is my translation, literally it's hang or hinge on these two things. In other words, Jesus is saying nothing in the Old Testament works. No other law works without these two things being in place. Right. And earlier in the gospel, he actually hinged salvation on caring for the people around us. Remember the, the, the guy, the rich guy is like, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's like, love the people around you. Give to the poor. Right. Um, I, you and I both, I think, remember Archbishop Chaput's famous Red Rocks homily. Yeah. <laughs> where Unless... he literally stared at us all and said, if you don't care for the poor, you're going to hell. And which and he was like and and like <laughs> it, I've never heard anything echo because it was drop you could it, hear a pin. It drop. was the it was the national conference for Catholic charities. Catholic right? charities, right? Is that right? Yeah, we were both there. Yeah, I we didn't just, know each other though. No, I don't think no. I mean, but that was a huge deal though, man. And I just remember him like he just like and laid he was it like, out. "Prove me wrong." Essentially, I don't know what he actually said, but it was something like demonstrate. Like I don't see another way to read the Bible. Do you? And everyone's like, no, not really. And he was talking to Catholic Charities, so I mean, they were and, cool. And, and thousands <laughs> but, of people in Red yeah, Rocks, yeah, right? Yeah, right, right. Like, and, uh, yeah, I just, I just love it. It's, uh, it's, if you get either one of them wrong, yes, then we, it's kind of like right now we we spend a lot of time and we say the truth and love, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah, a, right. and yep. in a certain sense, that's a that's a summary of what we're trying to get here. Absolutely, is we're saying Jesus is God saying, is truth. God is truth. How do you present the truth with love? In love, which is the only way to interact with our neighbor, our which brothers is, and sisters. Right, is to actually give them what's real and right and good. But you can have the truth devoid of love, and Paul says you're a clanging gong. And or and, you can have love and devoid what? of any truth, and, and then you have really nothing. Then you're just spaghetti. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're either a gong or spaghetti. Oh, that's the podcast title. Gong or spaghetti. <laughs> gong or spaghetti. Oh, that's good. That's oh, a yeah. good one. This is good. I, we, we, good. I always like it when the, the podcast title comes from oh, our conversation. It, it, 80% of the time it comes organically. Yeah, yeah, that's the best. Gong or spaghetti. Yeah. But, but this is where our society struggles because we really do fall into one or the other category most of the time. Right. And this this is actually where, where we get caught is... Yeah, it's so easy to have the social justice gospel and to to say, okay, all that really matters is that I is I feed the poor and clothe the naked. So one counter I would give to that, and I'm just speaking of myself, I suppose, but I imagine I'm not unique in this. The social justice gospel is um, attractive, and I think you can make a lot of friends being like, I'm going to care for the poor and do these things. But actually doing it becomes a little bit harder. It's actually hard to make eye contact with the guy on the side of the road that I see every single day who's got a sign asking me for food. It's hard to go into a homeless shelter. It's kind of scary, and there's people that I don't know what they're going to— I mean, in theory, it's great. You're like, oh, yeah, everybody can get behind this. Everybody can kind of rally behind these things. But, you know, can I actually care for a mother who's got a pregnancy in horrible circumstances? I mean, it's great to be pro-life, but can I actually look that mother in the eye and, and give her care that she needs? Can I actually go, you know, and look someone in the eye in a soup kitchen or, or you know, buy that guy on the side of the road a meal from McDonald's? Like, that's well, where I have a hard time. Like, yeah. oh, in theory, it's great. Well, well, this is but where I, don't I actually do it very often. This is the thing: is that being involved in a lot of that, yeah. it's super easy to lose trust in God because what you're well, faced, that's true too. Because right. what's happening is that you're faced with the lowest part of human existence, real suffering, and real and, suffering. And so, when when you are looking yeah. them in the face and you are hearing their stories and you are helping to the extent of your ability, and nothing's changing. Yeah, it's it's in those moments that the ability to say like, okay, you know what, I'm gonna go back to God. This is actually why when you look at at Mother Cabrini, um, you know, Mother Cabrini, like, you say, here's her profound love of neighbor and working with the immigrants and encountering daily human suffering, and 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 not getting. Um, not getting defeated in her love of God, because because the other option is that's really is, good. That's a really important insight, though. Right, and then the other option is is mm. that is is we can see, um, mm. um, like, it's almost like I, I grew up in traditionalist circles, okay, where um we where you can just resort. And I grew up in Boulder, and you grew up in Boulder. You finished the sentence, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> and uh, and. And what happens is that it's easy to find that salvation only resides in liturgy or in the proper doing of the worship of God. Right, right. And, and All you, of which are important. This is the thing, and this is this is actually where, like, like if I close my heart to my neighbor, yes. as, as you read any of Chris, I mean, when Chris System starts going off, oh John Chris man, System, you want to get messed with, right? And, and like in the in a good way, <laughs> right? Where he's like, he's like, how can you close your heart to your neighbor who has nothing of the world's goods? He literally says, if you don't give to the poor, you are stealing from them, right? Because they are due in justice our charity. Right. So you don't, you know, it's not like you have to give them that $20 bill, but you have to do something. Right. And that's, that's actually, that's hard. That's a hard teaching. That's right. And so, so, so when we, when Jesus puts these two together and and says Leviticus, like, but what's interesting too, and this is actually one thing I actually want to emphasize is that people are meant to love themselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
which is something that, that, that like we get tw- like right now we get twisted in society about like l- l- we've tried to come up with language for correctives like self-care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like I-, I can see, especially in the American church, a productivity of th- that is that is actually destructive towards the human person. Absolutely right. And, Absolutely. And, and it's, we it's, hate ourselves. We, right. Our society. I mean, I know that's a broad statement, but societally, I think it's safe to say a lot of us just don't like ourselves. Right. And, and it, you can't love other people like yourself if you don't like yourself. Right. All of a sudden, then what are we doing to our neighbor? How do we care? For it well, does, none of this works. This is actually what I've been preaching about for the last couple of weeks um, is, is, is that if you stop seeing yourself as a gift... Mm then what happens is that you have to manipulate yourself into something else because we oh, are man. meant to be gift. And so, mm. so we, we, and, and if I stop seeing myself as a gift, then I stop seeing the other person as a gift. Their poverty isn't a gift. Their, their, their riches aren't a gift. Right. There's nothing about them. And then all of a sudden, I, 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 then right. the twisting, there's a door that opens up wow. and I get to twist the other. Yes. To try to satisfy what's meant. To try to satisfy myself. Right. What's meant for an actual mutual exchange of love that reveals the heart of God, which is revelatory of the marriage that we're talking about even in the the first, uh, on Sinai. That's it. Is that we're meant to be together. We're actually crafted to be together. And yes. in God, who holds it all together, and this is this is mm-hmm. actually what's so hard, is that we can do every attempt in the world to try to make it so that we can be together. And this is actually one of the things that's really hard, is that government can't satisfy that. No. It can set parameters by which maybe that occasion can take place. Um, and, and, yeah. and, and But it can also set parameters by which that's inhibited. And that's it, actually it where is a we neutral. exist. Right. It, government is a neutral. And I, that's it's strange well, that or, that's almost a provocative thing to say now. Well, it can be used for good. It can be used for ill. But that's it's a, human beings. And this is actually where, where as a Christian, we can bypass all of this. Absolutely. And when we love God, we are built up into a table, a, a, a temple sacred to the Lord. You think built too up small. In, we're built up into a table. <laughs> Just a table, though. Actually, I've been thinking about woodworking <laughs> of and, <course. laughs> and, and helping some of the guys around here. I'm going to give some lessons to them. Nice. Which is noise. Noise. So, so you guys, this is this is really important. Like that, yeah. we maintain this tension because if because yes. because the love of God and love of neighbor. If if you err on either side, there's really destructive things that end up happening. Now, if someone only has one without the other. God can still use that to well, build them what, toward the other. Though, that's we all have that. Well, th- no, you're right, I, and I'm just yeah, absolutely. We all err in one of these in in one in one way or another, and sometimes it, in a dynamic in our lives, and that's actually where yep. we are all in demand of of repentance, of, of healing on both, and of, and of healing of both of those relational wounds which is how we actually start with the, which is how we actually we we're supposed to bring this up and that's why i say these things it's like oh am i yeah. have i lost trust in god and have yeah. i lost trust in my neighbor and it's have i lost love for god have i lost love for my neighbor and i i love that if you if you if you take god seriously you have to take seriously the sufferings of the world and if you take suffering the suffering of the people around us seriously if you really look to that suffering it is going to make us have to wrestle with the goodness of God. Right. Like, you, I mean, just to, again, I'm summarizing mm. what you just said, but that is, 
both of those are going to lead us into uncomfortable places. Mm. To really love God is going to force us into the uncomfortable places in human society. And to really see the uncomfortable places in human society is going to make us wrestle with God's goodness and have to really, we're going to have to be like David and to say, God, I, I don't know if I totally get it. I'm going to keep following you, but I don't know why I'm suffering so much, even though I know it, it's not to, I was thinking about Camp Boitiwa because you brought it up at the beginning. And I'm, I'm so grateful that Camp Boitiwa has been, at least for now, spared, uh, at least by and large, of these fires. And countless people have been like, oh my gosh, God has totally protected you. And he sent his angels to guard and protect camp. And that's true. I believe that, I think. But then I see the neighbors down the street and their houses are all burned down. And you got people who are homeless now. And how does God seem to show favor to one person and sufferings to another? And this is where we have to challenge our preconceived notions and say, no, sufferings are actually sometimes where God works best. And it's not that, oh, I'm super blessed. God loves me more because I'm not suffering. And you, that, that's a tough break over there. But to really reckon with the suffering and to say, why did God, why do I have it good? Why do you have it so hard? What does that say about me? What's my responsibility in that? It's not that God loves me more or God favors me more or I prayed harder than you, but it means maybe I just have a bigger responsibility to care for you. Or, or I, I don't know. Now I'm just, I'm just talking out loud. Yeah, thinking it's, out loud. It's, it's like, it's hard. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like I had a, I had an accident over a weekend. Mm. I, f- I fell down and, um, and there was another priest who also had an accident over the weekend right. and he was hurt so severely. Right. And I wasn't. Right. And, and I look and, and and I recognize the effects of what that accident was in my life and what the and and I'm praying for the effects of what the accident was in his life and it and I'm yeah. thankful that it wasn't as severe but but it, it doesn't mean that um that God isn't doing accomplishing great things in both of us through the those levels it's right. it's like somebody was you know even just saying the words comparative suffering hmm. we just don't do it we no. can't we can't live we can't. in comparative we suffering we cannot because as soon as we start comparing, then it's um, it's actually about the intimacy of the lessons that we're learning through the sufferings. Absolutely in our life. right. And that's, I think comparative blessing can be a similar trap. I mean, I am more blessed than you, oh, though. Oh shoot, that's right. Oh, well, hold that, on. that would be something that I would say, though. Is it? Is it? <laughs> no, the, no, you're right. Actually, comparative suffering and comparative blessing—they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah, think because about it's saying, this. "Oh, no, God is actually working through." Yeah, sorry. Be- because it actually gets to love God above all else and our neighbors ourselves. The, isn't it yes, interesting that, right. that that it's it's actually, yeah, that's actually that's in a mysterious word to com- consider. I was hesitant to say it, but but that is what God is asking us to wrestle with. Right, right. Which on that note. Yeah, to to wrestle with gongs and spaghettis. Wrestle with gongs and spaghettis. Amen. Hey, join us live next week, though. Don't forget, uh, 10 o'clock, Mountain Time. You get Um, to actually see what it's like around where we do. This is. Are you going to clean? No. It's pretty nice right now. It's pretty clean. Just keep it. Just maintain. (laughs) Maintain. (laughs) Maintain. (laughs) Love you guys. See you next week. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T, and you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.